Welcome to Whipple's Press Box Podcast, where we discuss the latest topics in the professional world of sports. Enjoy our exclusive interviews with athletes, coaches, insiders, and fans. And now, here's your host, Gary Whipple. The Milwaukee Brewers have been one of the best teams in baseball the last three seasons, having been to the National League playoffs in each of them. Can the Brewers make it four straight, and can they even get to the World Series? Welcome. I'm Gary Wolfel, and I'm delighted to be joined by uh, two of my colleagues from Wolfel's Press Box, Jerry Tapp and Dan Zielinski. Welcome, guys. I just wanted to uh, say that both of you guys I know are avid baseball fans. Uh, you live, breathe, and sleep baseball. Well, maybe not sleep baseball, but I know you guys are diehard baseball fans, and I would imagine uh, both of you are pretty excited about the uh, upcoming uh, season. I, I know I am. Um, I think just the fact that there's going to be a season and what looks to be a full season, I'm excited for that. Last year was kind of a blip in the screen with a 60-game schedule, so I'm excited to see uh, a full major league season of 160 you know, games or whatever it's going to be. So I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, I agree with Jerry. I think it's going to be fun. I can't believe it's right around the corner pretty much. Everyone's at spring training already. So it's going to be nice to get back to the 162-game season. 60 games just didn't feel right. Last year was kind of weird with uh, the season starting late summer. So it'll be nice to hopefully get into – American family field and uh, hopefully <laughs> now that sounds strange right there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah. I know I had to catch myself almost said Miller park, but either way. Uh, yeah. It's good. That baseball is right around the corner. Yeah. Let's uh, begin uh, by talking about the brewers. And uh, the first question I wanted to talk so to you guys is what you thought of the Brewers offseason moves? Uh, they weren't major players by any stretch of the imagination, but uh, I thought they made some nice moves, uh, maybe moves that can solidify a, a few of their holds. And one of the guys they brought back was a guy we're very familiar with, Travis Shaw. And uh, then they also brought in Colton Wong. What's your take, Jerry, on this? Uh, did, did they do enough during the offseason to solidify themselves as a playoff contender again? Um, I guess that'll be one of those things where you know time will tell. I, I like the move of, of getting Colt Wong. I like uh, the fact that he's going to shore up their defense at second base. I think with Lorenzo Cain back in center field, I think those are two big missing pieces. Uh, here did not have that great of a year at second base last year. So I think getting Wong was a, a good move. I think getting came back solidifies the defense even more. But to answer your question, Gary, do I think they did enough? Um, I think getting Wong um, certainly gave them, gave the fans at least, something to be, you know, feel positive about. But there wasn't anything other than the long signing that really, I guess, excited the, the Brewer faithful. So um, I would tend to say it was probably kind of an average job season. It, it certainly didn't match, the, you know, a couple of years ago when they got Kane and Yelich on the same day. So um, 
it, it was kind of a blah. I, I think it was a good move, but overall, did I get excited about it? I thought it was a nice move, but I wish I would have done a little more. Dan? Yeah, I mean, I'm kind of surprised they didn't trade Josh Hader. Another offseason goes by and they don't deal him. So that kind of surprised me. But to answer your question, I think they did enough to at least compete in the NL Central, which I think is going to be the worst division in baseball. I just ditto. Don't, ditto. <laughs> I don't see a clear-cut favorite necessarily, and I don't see a team that's going to compete for a World Series spot. I think the Brewers and Cardinals are the two best teams. And I think the Brewers probably maybe have the best pitching staff. So with the offseason moves they made, getting Colton Wong, I think that's going to be a great addition because, like Jerry said, Kessin Hero was terrible defensively. How he does at first base, I think we'll get into here in a bit later. But I think that at least doesn't hurt them. Then Travis Shaw, low risk, potentially high reward move. I like the Brett Anderson move. I think getting another veteran arm in the starting in rotation when healthy i think he can be reliable and they're only paying him a couple million dollars so i don't think that's a bad move i'll be interested to see them I mean, that's some change for a guy like you dan a couple million what's the big deal <laughs> <laughs> I mean, last year they signed a bunch of guys for like four or five million dollars yeah. they didn't really go that route this year they signed some guys to minor league type deals like Travis Shaw that I think will be interesting one guy I think is kind of under the radar is Brad Boxberger he's a reliever gonna be 33 here shortly former all-star guy who career-wise in the threes ERA wise so I think that could be an under the radar move a guy who could maybe be kind of a seventh inning reliever so they did enough to compete in the NL Central but there's no way this team's winning the World Series or getting even close I don't think I'll tell you what, I don't know how you guys felt, but uh, when they brought in Wong, I was like shocked. I, I obviously agree with you that uh, Hira is an average at best fielding second baseman, but I, I never saw that coming. I, I thought they were going to, you know, just roll with the uh, punches and see what Hira could do again at second base. Hopefully, hopefully that he would improve. But did, did you guys see this coming? I certainly didn't. I, I was surprised. I thought Wong was kind of a fixture in St. Louis, but obviously with some of the moves they made in the offseason, they felt he was, uh, you know, it, they would just allow him to leave. So I didn't see it. And I'm glad that he decided to come to Milwaukee, um, as I think some other people have, have made notes of. He, he really hit well in the Brewers' ballpark. I'm, I'm yet to say American family, but All right. <laughs> you know, um, so I, I think if that trend continues um, I, again, I think it's a, a good move on his part, but to answer your question, Gary, I, that was not on my radar at all. Dan? Yeah, I, I didn't see them making that move either. I mean, all off season, the talk was about Justin Turner, who I think would have been mm -hmm. a great in. I definitely I show up, shore up third base and been a nice middle of the order bat. But again, I don't think that puts them over the top either. So getting Wong, who um, is coming off a pretty decent year or has had a couple of good years in recent years, I think it's worth the risk. And like Jerry said, he's hit well in um, the Brewers ballpark. So hopefully he can maybe be a leadoff type hitter and just make the lineup a little deeper. Well, Dan, you are the uh, resident minor league expert among us and uh is the fact that the Brewers 
farm system just sucks that they don't have anybody that you could possibly bring up uh, to, to fill that slot. Not, not saying that Wong wasn't a, a nice pickup. Obviously it was, but it, it doesn't seem like they have anybody down on the farm that uh, they felt confident enough to uh, bring up. No, I mean, their farm system's either the worst or one of the probably three worst, four worst te- farm systems in baseball. It's not very good. Uh, they definitely have some younger guys who could be good players in the future, but mm-hmm. no one right on the cusp of being a potential all-star. I mean, all their guys who are close to the major league level are role players at best or guys they were high on at one point and kind of fizzled out as potential impact players like a Corey Ray or a Lucas Urseg, someone like that. So mm-hmm. um, maybe on the pitching side, they'll have some guys make impacts this year. I just don't see them really having position players. Well, you know what, what Wong does obviously is, is give them what one of the top five, top 10 second base fielding uh, performers in baseball. Is that, would you guys agree? I mean, I think think he was, uh, he probably falls into that first category of years, Gary, the top five fielding. So yeah, like I I said, I, I think it, it really helps shore up their defense, especially up the middle whatever they can get from, from him offensively. And again, if he can hit well, uh, it'll be a tremendous off season pickup. Well, you know what? Uh, there's an old adage that if you're strong up the middle, you're going to be a strong baseball team. And Dan, do you know, do you remember branch Ricky? <laughs> it was way, way before your time. <laughs> Gary, didn't you write your first article in the paper about him? I probably you, I think did. You him. <laughs> uh, but he was the man that always uh, felt if he had a strong fielding second baseman, strong fielding shortstop, center field catcher, you were you were in good shape. And do, do you think that was perhaps part of the thinking for the Brewers that hey, we got to get better up the middle? I mean, obviously, Hero Hero was a sim, but uh, do you do you think that went into their planning to say hey? That is an area we definitely have to address. I, I personally think that's a big issue. And again, I think they I think they figured that Kane was coming back. So mm-hmm. with Kane coming back, with getting Wong to play second, um, Ar- Arcia was very serviceable at at shortstop, and uh, Navaya's behind the plate and Pena. Uh, again, from a defensive standpoint. You know, going to what you said, Gary, about being strong up the middle. Defensively, I think they could be very strong up the middle. Again, what are those guys going to do offensively to help the cause? Yeah, your thoughts, Dan, on the uh, Colton Wong pickup? Yeah, I think they're leaps and bounds better defensively up the middle. I mean, Keston Hira didn't have much range. His arm was terrible. I mean, he couldn't throw from second to first base half the time. So um, I think it makes them a lot better. And for someone who's covered the draft and things like that, interviewed Kesson Hira coming out of college when he was at UC Irvine and his junior year, he DH the entire year because of elbow issues. So it's uh-huh. a when they picked him then. And it surprised me still to this day that they thought he could play second base just because of his, his track record uh, defensively. So I think this makes him a lot better and it'll be interesting to see how he handles first base. Well, we know uh, he's going to bolster their, uh, defensive situation at second base but 
I think perhaps the biggest question mark concerning the Brewers is, believe it or not, Christian Yelich. Uh, he had two monster seasons when he came to the Brewers. Uh, he batted 322 and 329. <clears throat> Excuse me. And he had a combined 80 home runs in those first two seasons. And then last year, he, he took a nosedive and it was like Christian who? I mean, he, he had what two hundred five, and I think he had you know twelve home runs. Power power numbers are pretty much pretty decent, but never in my lifetime, and I don't care what the circumstances were, did I think Christian Yelich was going to bat two hundred five? I mean, that was totally totally unexpected. Do you think that was a fluke, or do you think there's a cause for concern here? I personally think that it was a fluke. And I'll kind of chalk that up to the, you know, the shortened season. And I'm not entirely convinced that he was 100%. Um, so, you know, I look at that 205 batting average. That was so un-Christian Yelich-like. I, I think to, to your question of is there cause con for concern, I think if he gets off, off to another slow start like he did last year, and if we're heading into – May and June, and, and we just haven't seen the production. I think the red flags are going to come up, but I tend to think that he's going to get back to norm, normal. Is he going to be, um, you know, one, one of the top uh, players in the league? I would hope so. But is he going to hit over 300 with 40 home runs and 120, 130 RBIs? Uh, boy, that would be great. But I don't know. But I, I don't think that he's going to be this. 205 hitter, 210 hitter uh, for the season. Yeah, I mean, I tend to agree with Jerry as well. I mean, I just don't know how interested he was last year after coming back late in the summer, short uh, season, coming back from the injury as well. I don't know if he was kind of fully dialed in uh, to start, and then I wonder how much that just snowballed after he got off to the slow start. But career hitter-wise, he's 296, 25 home runs, 86 RBIs. I think Brewer fans can at least expect that out of him. Will he be an MVP again? Maybe not, but I still think he has all the ability to be a top-five player in baseball. And again, I mean, the Brewers did lock him up to a what they would consider to be a massive deal last mm -hmm. off season. I noticed how you said what they consider to be a massive deal. <laughs> Were you being that PC there a little bit? <laughs> yeah, a little bit. I mean that because baseball wise, especially with Fernando Tatis just signing a huge yeah. lucrative deal, their contract extension forms, not all that much. I mean, he's going to make 14 million this year and then he gets bumped up to 26 million next year. So you need <sighs> Price, you need a guy who's going to be an all-star pretty much. You don't even need an MVP for dollar-wise what you're paying him. Obviously, the Brewers as a small market team really need him to be more of an MVP-type player. But I'm not worried about him. I think uh, he's going to be back closer to the 300, probably hit 30 home runs is, I think, a fair assessment. Um, but like Jerry said, if he gets off to a slow start, I think – there might be a little bit of cause for concern then. Yeah, I mean, if you look around Major League Baseball last year, there were a lot of good players that just didn't bat for, for crap, for, for lack of a better term. I mean, they were all – I mean, there were a ton of guys under 230, 220, and, and Yelich uh, obviously is a local player, a, a well-known player, so I think all eyes were on him. 
but uh, hey, Gary. yeah. Uh, you know, the other thing I think that'll be a factor is um, what happens with the guys that are batting either before or after Yelich. Yes. Um, depending upon what the lineup looks like and how successful those guys are, if Yelich gets off to a decent year and seems to be, you know, dialed in, but yet uh, let's say maybe here is hitting, you know, before him or after him, or, you know, I don't know if Yelich is maybe going to hit second, but I, I'm, I would be more concerned about the guys that surround him in the order. If they're not protecting Yelich, um, that could be a factor too. Yeah, did I, I, I may have told you, Jerry, my uh, Christian Yelich story, but I don't think I told Dan. This was about five years ago. My uh, older brother, Ron, who uh, lives in Menominee Falls, called me and asked if I wanted to go to a Brewers game. I thought, fine. And and knowing how cheap my brother is, I thought we were going to sit out in the bleachers somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> well, lo and behold, we had front row seats, literally front row seats, right next to the visitors on deck circle, okay? So this guy goes into the on deck circle, and I, I never, ever talk to an athlete, yet, you know, whether I'm a fan or a game. You know, it's all, you know, when I covered the Bucks, for instance, you know, guys would sit right, basically right near me. And I wouldn't say anything because it was kind of unprofessional to, you know, deter from what they were doing. Well, for whatever reason, I said to the guy, I said, hey, you know, you sure would look good in a Brewers uniform. <laughs> and he looks at me, you know, kind of quizzical. And I said, uh, what, what's your contract situation? He started laughing, right? And I'm going, oh, my God, what am I doing here? <laughs> And he can't, we, we started carrying on a conversation. It was only for, you know, one or two minutes. Well, lo and behold, it was Christian Yelich. <laughs> and little did I know that he was actually going to end up in Milwaukee, you know, a year or two later, whatever it was. But that, that was bizarre. The, the one I thing he, I noticed in that uh, brief I think he points to that Gary as the reason he came to Milwaukee. <laughs> well, at least he could have gave me a percentage, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, the, the the one thing I noticed, as did my brother, is like he is a genuinely nice guy. I mean, there there's no airs about him at all, no pretentiousness. And I thought, man, he, he is going to be a star. I mean, and if he is a star, you know, what kind of guy would he be? And obviously, he's turned out to be a great guy. So, you know, they talked a lot about um, Aaron Rodgers having motivation. I, I wonder. I don't know. Again what kind of guy Christian Yelich is, but it makes me wonder if, you know, after two MVP type seasons and then to have the type of season he had last year, uh, is he the kind of guy that is just going to be so motivated to show people that last year was, you know, just a blip in the screen? I would hope so. Yeah. It is, isn't it crazy that uh, the state of Wisconsin has a guy like Yelich, an MVP guy, they have, Giannis, an MVP, two-time MVP. They have Aaron Rodgers, a three-time MVP. I mean, how would you like to be in New York where you get all these bums? <laughs> I have a little, little old Wisconsin, you know, it's, it's got an MVP in every major sport. So that, that, that's pretty cool. Still no championships, though. Pardon? Still no championships, though. <laughs> Smoking like a New York scribe. <laughs> Good point, Dan. <laughs> very, very true. So, uh, hey, uh, another area we were, we were talking about Yelich, you know, there, there's probably not a lot of concern, but nevertheless, there is some. 
it's the Milwaukee Brewers starting pitching staff. And uh, we all know that Brandon Woodruff and Corbin Burns are, you know, top flight pitchers. At least they're capable of being top flight pitchers. And, but, but the question is, to me, where do you go after those two guys? To me, it's like you got a bunch of mediocrity at best. And uh, if you're the Milwaukee Brewers and have aspirations of going deep into the playoffs, to me, it's like they, they better find somebody to be that third and fourth starters. And uh, any recommendations? I don't know if I have any recommendations. I think my, my take on it is I think they're comfortable with Woodruff and Burns one and two. Um, hopefully they'll, they'll be, you know, good top of the uh, staff pitchers. Whether it comes to Lindblom or Peralta or Hauser or, you know, throw any mix of guys in there, I almost get the sense that it's not that important that I, I think that the, the, the way the team is managed and it's, and it's more kind of an indication of counsel, I think for the three, four, and five starters at bottom part of the pitching staff, I think they're just looking for guys that can maybe give them five innings because they've got middle relievers that are just so tough. Mm-hmm. And then they've got the, the, the bullpen, you know, at the, with the Hader and Williams on the back end. I think they're just looking to find three guys in the number three, four, and five spot that they can send out there every five days and, and hopefully give them five minute, five innings and then turn it over to the rest of the staff. That's just my take on it. And I think that's kind of been council's uh, way of operating in the past few years. Well, I I think the operative word there was hopefully. (laughs) Yeah. I I don't know if I trust those guys for two innings, much less five or six, but uh, I I think they got real, real issues there. It's like they they may pan out to be, you know, fine for for the jobs that they're, being asked to do, but going into the season right now, based on their track records, I, I don't have a lot of faith in any of those guys. Dan? I think the Brewers have the best pitching staff, though, in the National League Central. You do? I mean, yeah, I mean, with their bullpen, with their one-two punch with Burns, and right. I think it's the best pitching staff in the NL Central. I mean, the Reds have two quality starting pitchers, but after that, they don't really have a bullpen. They're back end of their starting staff is similar to the Brewers kind of guys who are veterans or guys who are kind of still looking to prove it. And the Cardinals Mm -hmm. too. I mean, they have Jack Flaherty, they have Michaelis, they have Adam Wainwright, but again, their bullpen's kind of mediocre. You're looking at the entirety of the pitching staff. Yeah. But but from from a starting perspective though, you still think they get the best. See, I I think the Cardinals do. Because I don't, I don't think, I think out of, Adrian Hauser, Lynn Bloom, I think Freddie Peralta, Eric Lauer are both younger guys. I think you would hope at least one of them is a reliable back end of the rotation starter. And Brett Anderson, if he's healthy, I think you can count on him to have an ERA somewhere in the three and a half to under four ERA. He's a ground ball pitcher. I think the Colton Wong signing helps him a lot because Mm – Defensive runs saved were bad with uh, Kesson Hira um, at second base. So I think the, the infield's going to save some hits, things like that. So that's going to help uh, Brett Anderson out 
And as long as he's healthy, I think he could be a reliable three or four guy. And people think Adrian Hauser and Lynn Bloom both have potential and quality stuff. They just got to put it together. So if you can, like Jerry said, have those guys consistently throw five, maybe six innings, I think that's a win because their bullpen is going to shorten games up with Hader and Devin Williams in the back end. And then you still got some power arms and Drew Rasmussen and um, Brent Suter, even though he doesn't throw hard, is still a quality bullpen piece. And Freddie Peralta may be a reliever too. And he's got electric stuff as a one inning reliever. So um, I'm not too worried about it. I'm frankly more worried about their offense than I am their pitching staff. I would agree. Okay, let me let me ask you this. Are you worried at all about Corbin Burns? Obviously, last season, he, he looked very impressive. The year before, not very impressive. What, what do you think there? No, that's a fair point. And it's a big year for him because he's, like you said, had one good year, one bad year. But I believe that he can – duplicate last year I think that was his ceiling all along and he finally kind of put it together last season he needs to be able to throw three quality pitches but I think he's going to be more like last year than he was compared to 2019 I think he'll be a reliable starting pitcher for the Brewers Uh, you know Gary the concern I would have going back to the starting staff is if something happens to Woodruff and Burns where they can't give the Brewers (laughs) 30 to 32 starts for the season. They're going to call back Dan Plesek? Well, <laughs> I mean, Shane Raleigh might come out of retirement. So, you know, <laughs> Couldn't um, be any worse. <laughs> um, but I would be concerned if Woodruff and Burns can't give the Brewers 32 starts this season, that they have to push some of these middle, middle guys up into those first two spots. Uh, then I would say... I would be concerned because I don't know if the Brewers could go a whole 162 games, depending on a staff that only could maybe pitch four to five innings. And then you just wear out the bullpen by coming in in the fifth and the sixth, and then get to those guys at the end. I think that you're going to need, you know, Woodruff and Burns to give you those eight, eight inning starts and seven inning starts so that they can, lighten up that load and give that middle relief core at least a few days off. So my concern would be if something happens to Woodruff or Burns, whether it be quality of performance or injury. I think you could say that though, about every team in the NL central. Absolutely. The Brewers aren't going up in the division against a team like the Mets or the Dodgers or the Padres who are three, four or five deep in terms of, ones or twos in their starting rotation. Mm-hmm. So the whole division across the board has weaker starting staffs who don't have a lot of quality depth. So, I mean, I think that's safe to say for anyone that if they lose one of their top two guys, any of those teams are in trouble. So that's why for me, it's going to come down to the offense. The offense was terrible last year. I mean, they struggled to hit. I mean, Keston Hira was, I think, around 212. Christian Yelich struggled. Lorenzo Cain opted out. Avisel Garcia um, was a non-factor. So I think it's it's a bigger factor on the offensive side than it is going to be on the pitching side. You know, uh, circling back to uh, Wong at second base, you know, and, and now the Brewers obviously, you know, bolstered their defense there. When did that become a priority for the Brewers? 
I mean, this is a, like, just hit, <laughs> hit the ball over the fence. We don't care who is playing defensively. I mean, Mike Moustakis, for heaven's sakes, was a second baseman. And, and all of a sudden, they, they, they go to Wong. I mean, do you sense there's a shift in philosophy all of a sudden with the Brewers or not? I don't know if it's so much a, a change in philosophy, Gary, as much as it's just the reality from the standpoint that, you know, the, the last year they, what, averaged 4.1 runs a game, uh, which I think ranked like 28th or, or they were last in the NFL or in, the, in the National League. I, I think it became a necessity because if you're not going to win games by scoring a lot of runs, what's the other option is either having a pitching staff that's going to only give up zero or one runs, or you better have a defense behind you that can save runs. So I think it became a necessity because they don't have that power packed lineup at this point in time. Yeah. You know, there's obviously uh, going to be a lot of storylines about the Milwaukee Brewers and we, we touched on a couple of them, but to me, this is the most important one. And that's the uh, return of Lorenzo Cain. Uh, he played a whopping five games last year bef before deciding to opt out because of COVID-19 concerns. And, uh, you know, I, I just wonder, I've been around enough professional athletes. I, I just wonder what the reaction is going to be amongst his teammates that, you know, he didn't play that everybody else in that, that uh, team did show up, but he opted not to. Uh, I, I'm sure publicly they're all going to say the right things, that they're going to embrace them and everything else. But, you know, pro athletes, they, they, they can be a little sensitive. They can be a little stubborn. And uh, what, 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 what do you think is going to be the uh, reaction uh, to him coming back? Well, I, I personally think that there's not going to be a big uh, issue with that. I, I think he's a, uh, a well-respected veteran. Um, he obviously had his reasons for opting out last year. Um, I don't get the impression that it's the kind of clubhouse, and I don't think council is the type of manager that would allow uh, anything to happen relative to the chemistry of, of the team. Um, I would be more concerned about having the year off. What kind of what kind of shape? What kind of season is he going to have? And at his age, have his skills eroded at all? Uh, you know, he, we know he's a he's a Gold Glove center fielder, but um, what kind of hitting is you know how much offense is he going to bring to the table? Mm -hmm. So um, the, to to your point, Gary, again. I don't think that it's going to be an issue relative to him opting out. This is a new year. We're moving forward. I don't think it's an issue. And I think it's because he's so well-respected in that clubhouse. I think some people probably were upset about it last year, but again, whether you're upset about it or not, you need Lorenzo Cain to produce. He's 34, going to be 35 this year. Do 17 million this year, 18 million next year. And 2019, he struggled after being really good in 2018. Right. He's a big factor to this team's success this year. So 
whether you're upset about him opting out last year, you need him to produce if you're Craig Council and his teammates because he's going to be a big factor in this team's success. What I think is interesting is the rumors out there about them being potentially interested in Jackie Bradley Jr., the uh, outfielder, center fielder from the Boston Red Sox, who's a few years younger, kind of similar skill set. We'll be interesting to see if that comes to fruition, if they actually do sign him, um, because there was rumors early well, on. Would you sign him? If you can get rid of Lorenzo Kane, I like Lorenzo Kane as a person and player, but I would rather have a guy who's four years younger if the salaries are similar. Yeah, so I, I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm all for that. Dan, you, you brought up two good points, though. He, he did bat just 250, you know, two seasons ago. And again, maybe that's that, that that was a fluke. But Father Time catches up to you when when you're going to be 35 on April 13th, and you're a center fielder. I mean, you got to have legs, and you just wonder how many great center fielders still perform at age 35 or older. I, I'm sure there have been cases, and and I think Kane still can play at a high level. But again, you, you got to be a little concerned. I think the, the the thing I would look at, you know, you asked Dan the question, would you sign uh, Jackie Bradley Jr.? Uh, I think if you could get him and you didn't have to mortgage uh, American family insurance field, um, <laughs> because I, I think what would end up, this is just my take on it. If if Yelich has the kind of year you hope he has, he's he's entrenched in left field. But, you know, there's another X factor here, and that's the right fielder, Garcia. He did not have a very good season at all last year. If you brought Jackie Bradley in and you had him um, with Garcia and Kane in kind of a rotation for center field and right field, um, if if one of those guys really faltered, you, you insert the other guy. I, I guess my point being, if you could get a quality fourth outfielder and it didn't break the bank, why not sign him as long and a council again council is so good at doing this he'll figure out a way to use all of those guys and and get good use especially if they're all playing well yeah i, I totally agree with you hey let's uh let, let's talk about uh keston hero for for a minute yet are you still as high on him as everybody seems to be or, or do you think like a red flag went up after last season, I mean, forget about the defense. All I'm focusing on right now is his hitting. I mean, that's been his calling card going back to college. I mean, that's what got him to be a high major league pick. Concerned or not concerned, Dan? Yeah, I would be concerned. I, I hate to say it's a make or break year for him for a guy who's only going to be entering year three. But like you said, I mean, he was the ninth overall pick in uh, 2017 because of his bat. And um, that's where all this value is tied into. And I know coming out of college, talking to some scouts, uh, they thought he could be a guy who hit for average and power. And right now he's not definitely not hitting for average. And he's striking out a ton, not drawing a lot of walks. And the power is good for a second baseman, but – I don't think there's a lot of value to a guy who hits 30 home runs and is hitting 220. Um, so I think this is a critical year for Kesson here. Uh, even though he's young, I think uh, it's really going to kind of determine the next step for him and kind of maybe his future 
potentially with the Brewers. I don't see the Brewers giving up on him completely, but I think the Brewers are going to have to really reevaluate their stance on him uh, after this season if he has a really another kind of bad year again. Jerry, your take? I, I think he has um, suffered something that uh, a lot of people in the sports world refer to as a sophomore jinx. You know, Jerry, uh, I once had that as a reporter. And pardon then me? Junior, senior. <laughs> <laughs> um, a lot of jinxes. But anyway, sorry. Yeah, I, I really like Keston here a lot. I love watching him hit when he's on. I was really disappointed that he ended up striking out so much last year. So I'm hopeful that somebody uh, will get hit, you know, help him get this figured out. Um, but, you know, again, 2020 was such a, a different year and season. Mm-hmm. I, I just, you know, maybe I'm just kind of convincing myself that it's not going to happen again, but I just, I, I think he's just going to move forward and, Boy, I, I would certainly like to see him, you know, come back to the hitter that he was two years ago. Because if he does, and him and Yelich could really uh, provide an, a nice uh, part of the lineup that I think would help them a great deal. But you know, and not to sound like uh, I don't want to repeat the same thing I said about Yelich, but boy, if if here gets off to a slow start and you start to see all the strikeouts and he's just not hitting the ball. Um, yeah. You, you got to start thinking, have we seen the best of him? I think well, it's- what I thought was really, really interesting last year with Hira, he struck out like Dan alluded to a lot. I mean, 85 times, right? Yeah. And that yeah. was in 217 at bats. That's an abnormally high ratio there. Um, any any thoughts or observations as to why he struck out so much last year? <laughs> I mean, I just don't think the the play discipline was there. I think that's easy to say. But I think also, like Jerry said, a younger guy who I think his confidence kind of wavered a little bit as well. And that's why I think it's even more critical for him to get off to a good start than it is Christian Yelich because – you have to start worrying about if he struggles in April and beginning of May, is his confidence just going to be shot to the point that he's going to be one of these guys striking out 140 times. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So and the, the Brewers have had first basemen that have hit, you know, 205 with 30 <laughs> home runs. But of course, you know, I don't think we need another one like that. And, and he's a fun guy to watch when he's yeah. on because he uses all parts of the field, hits for average, hits for power. He's really one of the better just pure hitters when he's on. But, again, he's got to be on. So uh, he's going to be someone to watch who really needs – desperately needs to be off to a hot start early on. Okay, you know, you know Gary, you, you asked Dan or I if we could, could answer why he struck out so much. I think if either one would have uh, – either one of us would have answered that – we wouldn't be on this podcast. Yeah, we would. We'd, be, we'd have a uniform <laughs> you on. You just didn't go to Harvard. You know, that's the difference. <laughs> hey, yeah, yeah, you know, we we're, were talking about Hero being moved to first base because of his defensive deficiencies. I think it's important that the first baseman be a good defensive player, especially a, a lot of shots that are hit down the line, et cetera. 
number one, does he have range? I mean, you have to have some kind of range to be a first baseman, number one. And then number two, and, and I'm nitpicking here, but this guy is probably at best six foot, probably 5'10", five, 5'11". Five, a lot of first basemen aren't that short. And, and again, with an unknown at third base, uh, there's going to be a few wild throws that way, airborne, in the dirt, whatever. Is here a cutout to be a first baseman? Well, I, I think you're relative to your question about range. Um, I don't really think he needs to have much range. First of all, you got the first baseline that is, you know, to his his, his glove hand side. <laughs> Best defense, yeah. Uh, but then uh, also you got a new second baseman who's a, a great, you know, glove guy. Mm-hmm. So I, I would think that the, the the team is probably telling Hira. Anything hit to your right, let Wong get it. You just go to the base and stand there and wait for the throw. I, I guess I'm less concerned about what kind of range. I mean, I he's a professional. I'm sure that he'll get the uh, ap- appropriate tutelage. Uh, being a former catcher myself who got pushed over to first base, you know, I, I learned how to, you know, get the footwork down and, how to at least look like you know what you're doing over there. So uh, I think uh, Hero will figure it out. Hey, uh, speaking of being a former first baseman, who is the best player you ever played against? I know I know, but does Dan know? No Probably idea. not. Go the ahead, best, best player you ever played played against? That I played against? Yeah, there was a major leaguer you brought up. Oh, right? Ozzie Smith. There you go. How about that? When did you play against him? Uh, it was during, it was, I was playing baseball in the quad cities for a semi-pro team and we played in a tournament out in Clarinda, Iowa, and he was playing on that Clarinda team. And they said they had this shortstop named Osborne Smith. He didn't go by Ozzy at that time. (laughs) He was a shortstop from a California school and he was pretty amazing at that time. So went on to have a, a fairly nice career, I guess, in the majors. Yeah. Now, now to me, he's the ultimate shortstop, my all-time favorite. Did he do any backflips when you played against him? <laughs> I don't remember. <laughs> the, the, the king of backflips. Yeah. Uh, all right, guys, uh, put on your prediction caps here. We're mm-hmm. going to talk about the uh, vaunted NL Central, as Dan alluded to uh, at the outset of the podcast the worst division in baseball, but somebody's <laughs> got to finish first. Who wants to go first? Who, who wants to give us their rundown one through five in that division and how you see the uh, pecking order? Go ahead, Dan. Sure. Um, like I kind of talked about earlier, I really think the Brewers have the best pitching staff in baseball, but I think the Cardinals probably have the best lineup. I really love the Cardinals addition of Nolan Arenado. I think he's just a complete player and really one of the best in the game. I think he made a little underrated for how good he is. He's really a top five player in the game. So their lineup is really good with Goldschmidt. If he can at least be a reliable and consistent producer at this point in his career, Arenado in the middle and Paul DeYoung is a quality hitter as well. So I think it's going to really come down to the Brewers and Cardinals. No team in this division was really active this off season, but I think the Brewers and Cardinals 
will be one, two. If I had to put it in order today, I would put Cardinals one, just because I think they're a little bit more of a proven commodity. There's a lot of question marks still around the Brewers and especially I think their offense. So I would have to put the Cardinals one, Brewers two, three, probably the Cubs, um, even though I don't, I, they got worse this offseason, but their lineup still has a lot of talent with Rizzo, Baez, and Chris Bryant as kind of the three-headed monster in that lineup. And the Reds, it seems like they were kind of everyone's pick last year to do well after kind of a busy offseason leading up to 2020. But again, they got worse in the offseason. I mean, they got Luis Castillo and uh, Sonny Gray leading their rotation, but their offense is kind of Joey Votto, um, Mike Moustakis, Suarez at third, which isn't bad guys, but Votto and Moustakis are kind of towards the later parts of their careers. So mm-hmm. none of these teams, and then the Pirates are going to be last. I don't think we got to debate about that too much. We spend too much time on the Pirates. But um, <laughs> it's just, there's no for sure guarantee team like a Dodgers or like a Mets or Braves or someone like that in this division, every team has flaws and some strengths. Um, So I really think it's kind of wide open, but I think the Brewers are squarely in the middle of this and uh, I could easily see them making the postseason again by winning the division this year. Jerry. Um, I'm right with Dan. I had the same, uh, uh, the same order. I had, uh, Cardinals, Brewers, Cubs, Reds, and Pirates. Um, I think it's a cop out for me to say this, but I think between the Cardinals, you get a cop Brewers, out anyways. <laughs> <laughs> I think between the Cardinals, Brewers, and Cubs, um, I think injuries will determine. You know, any of those three teams, I think, can leapfrog or slide down based on what kind of injuries that they have. So. Um, but I, but I think to, on paper, which is obviously how we're trying to look at this, I think I, I give the Cardinals just a slight edge over the Brewers. Um, you know, last year the Brewers made the playoffs and, and they were a sub-500 team. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and obviously they added an extra playoff team. Um, I don't think that's going to be the case this year. They're going to have to play more. You know, they're going to have to win 87, 88 games. Uh, to make it and they're going to have to if they don't win the division uh, get one of the two or get, get the you know the, the one of the two wild card um but I, I think they have the pitching staff that can keep them in the race uh they can i think challenge for the division and i think they can challenge for uh one of those wild card spots as well you know what? We are going to have a clean sweep here. I'm picking the Cardinals too. I think Arenado's pickup was just absolutely huge. And I agree with you, Dan, one of the most underrated. I mean, everybody knows he's a damn good player, but he is really, really a damn good player. And, and to think that he and Goldschmidt, you know, are at the corners. I mean, how many teams in baseball have a first baseman and a third baseman of that caliber? You know, not many, if any. And uh, I, I really like what they do. They don't have any super strengths out of those two, but I think there's such a solid team across the board that they, they get my nod. My second team, though, is the Cubs. And uh, 
I, I know they lost some good players. They lost Darvish and they lost Lester, but I, I don't think those were big losses, you know, when you get down to it. And when you, when you look at the talent, when you got Baez, Bryant, Rizzo, Contreras, I mean, to me, it's that team should have been in first last, what, how many years now, you know? Uh, to me, they underachieved. And I thought, well, maybe this year might be the year that they, uh, you know, get their act together and, and make a run. I mean, they are the defending champions, right? NL Central champions. And by the way, they, they have a pitcher on their staff that uh, Jerry Tapp is a big fan of going back oh, to yeah. the Brewers days. Big Zach Davies fan. So do you think he's got anything left? You, you still like him now that he's the Cub? <laughs> I don't know. I think people are going to look out there and they're going to think it's the uh, reincarnation of Greg Maddox. And wouldn't that be great for Chicago? <laughs> well, that's who he was compared to, right? Exactly. I mean, that, a, a first time I saw him Maddox. pitch, I first time I saw him pitch, I thought the exact same thing. Yeah. You know, then in the third in third spot, I got the Brewers. And as we have talked uh, from the start of the podcast until now, they, they have so many question marks. You know, whether it's Yelich, it's Kane, they're starting pitching here at first. Third base, we didn't even talk about third base. I mean, that's an absolute train wreck. Um, so so to me, it's like the, the stars have to be aligned for the Brewers to make a run at the uh, division title. The Reds, uh, they, they lost a kid named Bauer, uh, who yeah. is pretty good, I heard. And yeah, <laughs> I, I know you guys are shocked that he went to the Dodgers, right? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, is that crazy or what? The, that, I mean, the, in all seriousness, why don't they just anoint the Dodgers the World Series champions now? <laughs> I, mean, I mean, this is, to me, one of the best teams I've ever seen. Uh, but Gary, Gary, again, championships are not won on paper. <laughs> I think this one is, though, Jerry. <laughs> oh, well, I mean, it's very possible. What, what an embarrassment of riches, though. And, and yeah. we'll, we'll talk about the Dodgers somewhere down the, down the line here. But got the Reds coming in fourth and uh last we we don't even have to say anything about and move on i mean it's like they should be a triple a how would they do a triple a <laughs> <laughs> so anyways one other prediction and, and you don't have to go at length in uh, describing why you think they are going to get to the world series but in the national league i, I got the dodgers hands down i, I don't think anybody's going to touch them and in the AL, I have the Yankees, and we'll have a uh, East Coast, West Coast World Series. You guys? I'm, I'm pretty much the same, Gary. I've got the Dodgers in the National League and the Yankees in the American League. But I, I, I'll, I'll kind of throw out uh, my two dark horses, in each, one dark horse in each league. In the National League, I'm really curious to see what happens with San Diego. I think the Padres could be – really interesting they may not have the the horses to be able to take you know to over to to pass the dodgers but if they get in as a wild card they could make some noise and i and i think in the american league i think the the als is going to be really tough with the yankees and tampa bay and toronto but my dark horse in the american league is the white Sox. interesting i like those I like those choices dan yeah, I like those picks as well. And uh, on paper, I have Dodgers and Yankees. 
just like you both. But I think the NL is just going to be absolutely brutal. The Dodgers are clearly the best team on paper, but the Padres, Mets. I'm going to call you Jerry Tap Jr. if you say that. (laughs) (laughs) It's my long lost son. (laughs) The Padres, Mets, and Braves all have enough talent to at least make the World Series. So I think even though the Dodgers have the most talent, I don't think it's going to be a cakewalk for them to get to the World Series. And they're going to have to at least go through one, if not two, of the Padres, Mets, or Braves in the playoffs if all those teams get there. I think the Braves, though, are the best team outside of the Dodgers. I think the Mets are getting a lot of the headlines. But the Braves, just from top to bottom, are really a complete team. So that would be my dark horse. And on uh, the AL side, I like the White Sox. Um, It's hard to bet against the Rays, though. I know they're when you look at their team, it's just like, who are these guys? But it just seems like they constantly overachieve. And they turn guys who are just off the scrap heap or have been terrible throughout their careers into all-star type players. So I'll be interested to see how they do. That AL East is going to be challenging. But I'm not counting out the Rays, but right now on paper, looks like it's going to be the Dodgers and Yankees. All right. We're uh, totally in agreement here. Uh, before we put a bow on this uh, podcast, any uh, last thoughts, anything you want to throw out there? I had a, I had a question for you and Dan. I'm afraid. No, no. It, <laughs> I'm already it's afraid. Le- it's legit. Okay. <laughs> no, my question is, um, did you realize, it's a statement and a question, did you realize that Council is the longest tenured manager in the National League? That's the statement. The question is, what do you think that is attributed to? Uh, why, why? Yeah, I knew he was right up there. I wasn't sure he was the longest, but I knew he was right right there. Yeah. Uh, and, and he's done a hell of a job. I mean, you know, I, I have a bunch of people, uh, friends that are not council backers, but I, I think what he's done under the circumstances has been remarkable. Even though they got in, you know, last year under weird, weird conditions, to go to the playoffs three straight years, you know, tells you that you're doing a, a pretty credible job. But what was the second part of this? Just, no, I was just, I was just not curious. that I don't have ADD, but I do. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was curious to ask both of you, you know, what do what do you attribute that that to? You know, is he that great of a coach? Oh, I, I think he is. I really do. I, I think he's got a unique style and. It seems like he, he's a player's manager. You don't hear anybody, you know, taking shots at him, certainly not publicly and even privately, but no, I, I think he's done well. And, um, you know, they could have bounced him and brought in Tony La Russa, you know, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I, don't, I don't think that's going to happen anytime soon. So no, I, I, I again, I, I think council has done a hell of a job. Yeah, I was aware that he was the longest tenured manager, which to me just kind of blows my mind that yeah. I can remember I was covering the team at that point. So it wasn't that many years ago that they hired him. But um, yeah, I don't get why some people are so kind of anti-council. I think he's done a great job. I don't know if it's just because of his playing days, he wasn't that great or what, but yeah. I think he's done a great job as a manager. Like Gary said, I think he's a player's manager. He doesn't have a big personality. He's definitely relatable. Uh, you can t- He obviously cares about the Brewers and wants to win, being the local guy, former player, things like that. So 
And I think overall he's done a great job of handling the team, whether it's um, the pitching staff or just getting guys to overachieve um, compared to kind of what their expectations were. So overall, I think he's been a great manager and I really think he's kind of, uh, he's going to write his ticket. I don't see the Brewers getting rid of him anytime soon. I mean, when they do, if they do, it's going to be a messy situation. It'll, it'll probably end up with him stepping down or moving into some advisory yeah. role. But I, I could easily see him being the manager for the next 10 years of the Brewers. And that, it's funny you mentioned that, Dan, because that, that was going to be my last part of that question was, is this a guy that could be with the Brewers and be a, a 15 and 20 year manager, which is almost unheard of with any organization. But I, I think you're absolutely right. I think for him to not be the manager of the Brewers, it's going to be him stepping down for some reason. I just don't, I don't see that they would get rid of him, but I could be wrong. And I don't, if I remember correctly, I don't think David Stearns hired him. I think that was one of kind of Doug Melvin's last last moves, maybe last season. Could be wrong with that, but either way, ownership loves him. And I think he's just a relatable guy and the success he's had. I mean, he would have to have three, four just terrible years. Yeah. Consider it from kind of a front office standpoint because he has gotten the team to three straight postseasons, something they've never done before. Yep. Well, guys, uh, that should be a wrap. I want to uh, thank you for stopping by and uh, look forward to uh, getting together in a couple of weeks again. And even though you guys are wrong in your Brewers predictions, I still love you guys, you know. So. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, take care and uh, thanks again to our listeners as well and uh, we'll be in touch and all the best to everybody take care for more sports news check back every Tuesday for our latest show you can also follow Gary on Twitter at Gary Wuffle and Wuffle's Press Box.com. <laughs>